Lord, we would uh, come to you and uh, ask that the full, the fullness of what you've presented in Scripture would be known to us, that you would, um, we come to you and ask that this text would come alive, not to, uh, not so much to inform us, but to inflame our hearts, to help us see that in Jesus, we can turn away from our old selves and we can live new lives. So Lord, this is a, a difficult text in the sense that it's not always evident what is going on. And so we ask that you, by the Spirit, would show us these things and help us to not feel burdened or overly burdened by the idea of studying Scripture. We ask that you would guide us, Lord, and in this moment, um, be for us what we need, and that is our King, our Prophet, and our Priest. We ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I am, first of all, I want to commend you. because as I study this text, I have a great advantage over you. I get time, I get hours and hours to uh, look at this text. And uh, maybe some of you just for a la- of eight minutes ago is the first time you've ever, wait a minute, what is this text talking about? And uh, So I want to commend you, first of all, for the journey that we've had through 2 Corinthians. Uh, I have enjoyed it. 2 Corinthians uh, goes along several verses, and you kind of wonder, what's, what's going on here? And then there's a gem. There's just a beautiful gem. Maybe it's a famous verse that uh, Christians know. But it is, we, we would believe that every sentence in our Bible is potentially alive for us. It is, the Bible uh, is difficult at times to understand. At other places in the Bible, though, it is abundantly clear so we, we accept the scriptures as they come to us, uh, and um, this is one of those texts that would require us to meditate on it and think on it, but I hope it's not uh, too, too hard for us today. The, the Corinthians have been uh, real characters, one way to put it. Um, if one were to take a yellow pad and take 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and just, just slowly go through it and observe what might be a possible misunderstanding or a, uh, a falsehood, a wrong presupposition. In other words, miscommunication. If you could just do this, just, just go through, take your yellow pad and keep going, 1 Corinthians all the way through to the end of 2 Corinthians, I believe you would come up with something about over 30 uh, subjects and topics that were misunderstood, uh, uh, even, even slanderous things, uh, certainly things that were uh, wrong to think about the Apostle Paul. And so... Uh, it's a it's a fantastic uh, study, but it is not easy. And uh, I am personally amazed at how many uh, misunderstandings there are and uh, difficulties Paul has had with the Corinthians. Um, Paul is being treated, even though he is the church planter, he is the apostle who got this church started about forty five miles west of Athens. He is the one who got this place going. He's now being treated like a stranger. Uh, so so uh, it's, uh, it's a good introduction to, uh, to how tough ministry can be, uh, but it's, it's really quite remarkable. He's being treated as one who they really don't trust and has somehow Paul has failed to love them. Uh, and so you remember that 
this has gone on for quite a while with the Corinthians. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, that famous love chapter, uh, that's in Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right, all that. Uh, that was written to the Corinthians. Are you all catching what I'm saying here? Uh, that the love chapter was, first of all, a communication to people who didn't understand love, all right? Uh, for instance, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, in the love chapter, love does not keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> well, uh, the, the Corinthians had, uh, had volumes, had journals <laughs> of Paul's wrongs, okay? So um, I don't think he had many. So, uh, so I'm appealing uh, to, to us to, uh, to realize that uh, as we're watching Paul line by line address the Corinthians with their issues, and I'll share with you really what I believe is going on here. Um, I, we are, we're here, aren't we? We're in this text, aren't we? We have, uh, there are relational challenges we have. We have a breakdown in trust with people. Often that breakdown comes not from anything someone else has done, but something that we believe or we think. And so it's hard to distance ourselves from the Corinthians and, uh, I have an ongoing theory that these people, the Corinthians and their troubles, probably speak more clearly to our modern age than, uh, than any other epistle. That's just a theory that I have. Well, Paul starts in verse 11 in our text here, uh, 11 through 18 is what we're covering. I have made myself a fool. He's reflecting a little bit on his fool speech. Um, but he does say that uh, he was required to do this. Um, and the reason why he says he's required to do this is that he has to respond to the foolishness of the boasting of these super apostles. There are new leaders who've taken over um, influential roles in the church. So if you're just catching up, new leaders, they may have had uh, a strong civic uh, presence. They may have been civic leaders, may have been. But the Corinthians, as Greeks, loved uh, oratory and eloquence. Paul seemed to have weakness in speech. He couldn't uh, speak, perhaps, well in public. And these, these new interlopers, uh, these ones that Paul nicknames, sarcastically, super apostles, um, have come, and Paul has had to boast like they boast, but he boasts in a completely different way. He doesn't boast in his own achievements. He doesn't boast in his own credentials. He boasts in what are things we would not normally boast in, uh, beatings, uh, floggings, uh, shipwrecks, abandonment, uh, difficulties. This is what he boasts in. So... Um, he doesn't want to actually, he seems to say pretty clearly, I don't want to do this because it draws attention to me. But he's had to do this. So he does think that the whole endeavor is foolish. And then he says, uh, verse 11, I ought to have been commended by you. You should have taken up the mantle of my credentials and you should have defended me. By the way, that's a skill, that's a uh, sign of maturity in a church. When someone is speaking poorly about someone else, they're giving a bad report, they're confessing someone else's sins, it's called gossip. Uh, uh, 
those who are mature would say, huh, that's funny. She always speaks so well about you. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, you, we would say, we would say kindly, actually, you can't speak that way about a brother or sister, and I'll help you go and deal with your uh, problem with them. I will go with you. Paul says, I should have been commended by you, meaning he's saying you should have defended me. Uh, and then he says, I am not at all inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. So you get a sense of his self-identity. He doesn't really pride himself in his achievements. The only thing he gives, the one he gives credit to is God for his life. Uh, he was a rebel who persecuted the church, and that had a deep, profound, lasting impact upon him. He certainly struggled with pride like the rest of us. He certainly struggled with many things, but he has grown in spiritual maturity and an aspect of spiritual maturity is uh, less concern about oneself. Right? So you walk into a room, you're not necessarily always thinking about yourself or how will I be perceived. That is a sort of a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, verse 12, uh, the interlopers, these new apostles who are not really apostles, have no doubt boasted that they perform some sort of mighty works. And Paul says that the signs, in verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were uh, done among you, performed among you with utmost patience. That means that it took, uh, over time, Paul had to demonstrate his credentials. Uh, this is a reference to miracles. I don't think we need to take uh, all three of these phrases, signs, wonders, and mighty works, as if they're three distinct kind of things. Probably we're just talking about miracles and uh, and. Uh, things that cannot be explained uh, without God's intervention. Like the miracles and ministry of Jesus, uh, the apostles did perform uh, healings. The, the apostles did do miracles. Um, and essentially, this is the litmus test for an apostle. Uh, do they do the works of Jesus? Um, and uh, the signs and wonders accompany true apostles. And in the context of hardships and afflictions, even those who can do miracles do not have an easy life. They can't make their ability or the power given to them make themselves avoid hardship. Verse 13, the question is, why didn't Paul ask for financial support? And this might strike us as kind of odd. I'm actually kind of... Dealing with this with the uh, the Kauai church is that they want to pay for my flight over there and they want to be players in it. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, I think we can figure out how to cover this. I don't want to put a burden on you, right? But I can also feel like, wait a minute, there's a little parallel here. Well, wait a minute, we want to be players in the game. We want to we want to pay for your flight. We want, right? And I can think of, like, um, I don't think these people will be offended that they don't get to pay for my flight. Um, but um, they the Corinthians have figured out a way that wait a minute, Paul isn't asking for money from us, and we are, we're offended by this. We're offended by this. Uh, what, are we inferior to him? Uh, you know, as you exchange gifts with people, it's kind of like you're on equal social footing, and Paul isn't uh, taking our support. And uh, Paul is, has told them repeatedly, I didn't want to be a burden upon you, um, but they have taken offense. And he is, uh, 
Uh, it sure sounds like sarcasm here. Uh, forgive me this wrong, right? Um, and of course, he's not really asking to be forgiven, and he, uh, but he doesn't want to be uh, a burden. And so selflessness is also a sign of a true apostle, right? And of course, these new, new leaders at Corinth have been all the, all the more happy to take money. In fact, they may have got entered into a contractual relationship. Uh, you know, by the way, I'll, I'll come and I'll serve the church, but, you know, I want a contract. I want to be paid up front, you know, that kind of thing. Or, and then, are you ready for a possibly really insid- insidious idea? Well, one, uh, one thought here is that um, the reason why Paul brings up Titus toward the end of here in verse 16 and 17 and 18, and he brings up these other men who have gone ahead to, to take care of the financial preparation. And what's happening is that they're going to take an offering for the church in Jerusalem. That's kind of the big, the big financial goal going on. And there's an insidious thing that's being suggested, and that is this, that Paul has been deceitful in his... Uh, well, I don't want to bur- uh, burden you, right? He's been deceitful because really here's what he's after. And I'm gonna, he's, he's, here's what he's going to do. Yeah, he's going he's to let Titus take care of all this stuff, and then we'll, we'll give our, our extra money for the, the poor people in Jerusalem. And Yeah, right, we'll give that. And then what he's going to do is Paul's going to skim off the top, and he's going to take his cut before it gets to Jerusalem. So, here's the, here's the insidious thing. He's going to look like he's self, selfless, but he's actually very selfish. You ready for church work? This is hard, isn't it? And line by line by line by line, he's had to say, okay. He's essentially saying, look at the guys I sent. What do you get from them? What's the vibe? You get, are, they, are, they, are they less than honest? Are they always angling for money? Are they always talking about money? Are they what? What are my? What are these men I have sent who represent me? What's the vibe? What's the tone? It's kind of how our passage concludes. Now, what's going on? Let's just ask the question: What's going on? Have you ever misjudged someone? Have you ever jumped to a conclusion? Perhaps you first made an estimate about someone. And you had concerns and you came to a conclusion about them only to realize as you got to know them that you were completely wrong? Have you ever not engaged with someone who's really appealing to you with their thoughts and reasons, but you don't want to engage them? They want to talk it out, but you don't want to? Has anyone had to appeal to you repeatedly over and over because you've closed your heart to them? What we're dealing with here is an area of our body, our our existence, called the flesh. The flesh. Now, the flesh is described in various translations as the old man or our old nature. Well, I just think we should say the flesh. The flesh is the residual aspects of our mind, body, emotions, that is still fallen. Now, when a person is born again, you get a new nature. And so, you can only have one nature at a time. <clears throat> so, um, you who are, if you're a believer here today, you have a new nature. Amen. Praise God. 
Now, that new nature uh, is uh, a marvelous work of God's sheer grace. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is now permanently uh, committed to you, not to be removed from you. But all of us recognize that we do struggle and we do not obey as we should and we struggle. And so what is it that we're, what's, what's our experience like in this world? What are we fighting with or what are we fighting against? Or what are we cooperating with? Is It's called the flesh. Now the flesh in us doesn't want to be exposed. The flesh in us doesn't want to be revealed or known. So the flesh uh, sounds defensive. The flesh sounds angry. The flesh sounds righteous. The flesh sounds perfect. The flesh can sound uh, logical even. The flesh can use all kinds of things. The flesh is really nasty. Why do we become defensive? Why do we jump to conclusions? Why do we live out of insecurity? Why do we desire to control? This is the flesh. The Corinthians have insinuated things that are simply not true about the Apostle Paul. And what he's had to do is line by line dismantle these ideas. We have here the Corinthians who know someone well now treating him like a stranger. So the flesh, if you really want to know when you are acting in the flesh, usually you're not very relational. (laughs) Okay, so the flesh is a non-relational, anti-relational, better said, aspect of us. Now, if you're not convinced uh, that you have fleshly tendencies, one exercise that you can do, if you're saying, ah, I'm not sure about this, um, one thing you can do is I'm gonna, I'll give you an assignment. And it's just seven days long, and we can come back here to, uh, next week and we'll talk about it. I want you to go one week without saying anything critical about anyone else. And also not think anything critical as well. And let's talk about it. Let's see how well you do. You can't slander or gossip or shake your fist at the driver in front of you or the driver behind you. You have to speak well and think good things and love your neighbor as yourself. And just start with your spouse. Just just start there. Our flesh is nasty. It is still as strong at 82 years old as it was when it was 32 years old. It does not improve. Now, the title of today's message is, Does Apostolic Authority Matter? Well, (laughs) the flesh doesn't want authority. Now, the scriptures embody apostolic authority. We believe that we don't have apostles roaming the earth today, but we do have their thoughts and words authorized in Scripture. So we want to be an apostolic church in that way. We want to always be an apostolic church. The flesh is is one of the reasons why we don't engage Scripture. We, We simply know that we'll be in some way confronted. Some aspect of our life will be revealed to us, and we just, it's just a painful thing. That's why the Bible is somewhere underneath our bed, somewhere. 
The flesh dismisses reasons that people give and people themselves. Now, I thought as I was preparing, once Thursday arrived and we saw all that happened on the news, I thought, well, I have an an illustration of the flesh from Washington, D.C. this week. The cruelty, the both sides, the difficulties that we all saw. The flesh is the opposite of the wisdom from above that James 3 tells us. James 3.17 says that the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from above, is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Sincere. This means that when we say something, we mean it. When we commit to something, we commit. We're sincere. It's a real problem in our day and age today. Here Paul is systematically, line by line, argument by argument, revealing that the Corinthians don't have a case. Now, I'm sure (laughs) that this was remarkably difficult for them to receive. In fact, I'm sure that the flesh... Even though line by line by line by line Paul is revealing they don't have a case, I am something in me says that the flesh in the Corinthians would probably respond, Oh, Paul, you're just lording it over us. If you want to see what the flesh is like, just watch what happened to Jesus. There was no reasonable nothing it was a form of insanity what happened was no case against Jesus and they knew it the highest form of love is loving those who are difficult to love so what's on display here is love now we may wonder wait a minute there's some sarcasm here there's you know but this is line by line an expression of love for people he's not going to let go You are called to love brothers and sisters with fleshly tendencies. You bring them into the door of the church today with you this morning. We all have fleshly proclivities. We're tempted by certain things that other people are not tempted by. One of the, well, I don't know how best to present this, but Paul cries out in Romans 7 as he discovers the depth of his fleshly tendencies. To not do God's will. This is someone who is a genius at understanding God's will. And he cries out, O wretched man that I am, I can't do what I ought to do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he quickly says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Meaning that, Through Christ, we are now in in a place of safety, and there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. We just have to keep crying out, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God. Rather than to take an offense, rather we take offense when no offense is given. Our flesh is largely in control of us. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. The reason why I talked about the, the homework assignment about not speaking poorly about anyone, the, the point of, the, of that assignment is for a person to come back and say, whoa, I'm now aware of my flesh. 
it's a big problem in the church. We are not aware of our own flesh. This is why there's dissension. This is why the church is not a church can be uh, fail at being peaceable. Now, the Corinthians have taken essentially two offenses that are rather large. I think they've taken many, many, but two we could highlight. One is, Paul just didn't show up when he said he would. That's earlier earlier in the epistle. Paul spends like a chapter on that. And this whole thing about his schedule became an offense to them, and he explains what happened. So they can't bear with someone who just, things happened in their schedule, Right? And then the second offense is this business about not receiving money, and somehow this made the, the Corinthians second class. Well, here's, here's just some real fragile people who don't understand that it doesn't matter what class you think you may be, in Jesus you're first class all the way. It means that you just don't grasp what it means to be in Christ, what one person's estimation of you is or isn't. What one person esteems you or thinks you're amazing or thinks you're terrible, it, in the end, it doesn't matter because we don't live by the definitions that other people give us. They are completely secure, loved, fully accepted, and okay as a church. They are blessed in Jesus beyond measure. Now, this moves soon, and we'll cover this. Paul will say in chapter 13 that essentially you're making a charge against me. You're making a kind of charge against me. And he talks about how a charge can only be established by two or three witnesses. That would have helped this week in Washington, D.C., I believe. They have betrayed Paul, and they have failed to defend him. Since they have not defended him, he must defend himself. Paul has competitors for the hearts of the Corinthians. A lot is at stake. He has demonstrated that at his core, he is weak. But this weakness has never got in the way of his performing of his, the performing of his apostolic abilities or responsibilities. He planted the church at Corinth. He has proven himself capable. Wherever a church is planted, people must say God is at work. No matter how big it is, no matter how dynamic it is, a church is founded because of the gospel and gospel preaching. Paul could preach the gospel. And these false apostles have pandered to the Corinthian aspirations for glory, eloquence, prominence, and somehow being associated with Judaism. And that's what's still attractive. Paul was afflicted, he was weak, and he was tongue-tied. But in love, he comes to give them line after line reasons to welcome him back as their apostle. For us, we now have to stop and say, am I aware of my flesh? How I respond to people? What I think toward people? 
Do I take this flesh and say to it, you will not control me? You will not dictate to me my responses to my brother and my sister. I will, in the power of the Spirit, say no to this impulse, to this habit, to this way of interacting with my world. I will begin to live this crucified life. The flesh, when it first appears to you, it appears with great power. It, it appears to you that you must speak poorly about this person. How else can you live? How else can you deal with this problem? You must speak poorly. Perhaps it's gossip. And the flesh just comes and says, of course, well, you've got to do this. And it comes with great power convincing you, this is how I should conduct myself. But there's a way of escape for us, and that is the Spirit of God will take our cry of faith in that moment and say, Lord, help me in this moment to resist this tendency of mine. Change me in this moment. Change me in this moment. And what's interesting is this, and I'm borrowing from John Owen, the Puritan from several hundred years ago. What's interesting is this, is that the flesh comes with great power in its first wave, its first wave that demands that we obey it. And Owen says, resist. Then it comes with another wave of power, but it's not quite as strong this time. And then it comes with another wave of power, but it, and essentially what happens is, is that the flesh loses its power as we cry out for the power of the Spirit. And so imagine if the Corinthians understood how to battle their flesh. The Corinthians could have always sent a commission of people to go talk with Paul with their concerns. That would have been fine. They could have talked it out. <laughs> it could have been proactive. So I want to encourage you to battle well with the, against the flesh. And I'm with you. I wouldn't. I would not be surprised if you want to share with me your elders who a friend here in church, what the flesh is like. I understand it. If you want a depiction of it, it's written for us in Galatians 5, 19 and 20, right there. You'll find categories of what it looks like, divisions and all kinds of problems the flesh produces. Brothers and sisters, though, I want you to know you're, you're in Christ. And yes, this is a battle, and yes, this is a struggle, but but Christ is with us, and Christ is with us in this moment, equipping you, strengthening you, giving you an understanding of how best to, to move forward in this Christian life and, and to battle well the tendencies of the flesh and to minister to other people. You're gonna, I want you to be counselors to each other, counselors of the flesh, to know, oh, I understand that. I completely understand that. I identify with that. And here's how God uses this scripture to help me resist that flesh. Folks, there's good things ahead. There's good things ahead. Moment by moment, the Spirit is with us. And so with that, let's, let's give God the glory and pray. For, pray. Our Father, we thank you for, for this moment that we've had to just look. And Father, it feels discouraging to look what's, what's happened here in, in, our, in our Bible. And yet, Father, we thank you that also love is on display and, and that 
what's going on in the Corinthians, we can't judge them. We can't distance ourselves from them. We understand them. And Father, we understand that we need your grace. So Lord, help us to understand ourselves. Our Father, move among us that we could embrace again the cross, your love for us. We love you. We ask that you would abide with us and strengthen us in these daily battles. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.